Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. When Beeson Divinity School was established in 1988, our founding benefactor, the wonderful Ralph Waldo Beeson, gave us a one-line mission statement that we often repeat to ourselves. He said, I want you to build a school that will train pastors who can preach. Well, today in the studio, I have with me such a pastor, a pastor who can preach. It's Dr. Justin Wayne Scott. Justin, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Dr. George. Now, we're not going to ask you to preach on the podcast today, <laughs> though you are preaching at Beeson Divinity School. Uh, but I want our folks to know who you are. Where are you from? Uh, how did you become a Christian? How were you called to ministry? Hmm. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, home is Somerville, Tennessee, a little small rural town outside of Memphis. Um, that's where I, I grew up, was there from nine months old all the way till I left to go to college. I uh, grew up in a home where my parents were believers and uh, took me to uh, to the local church, grew up at First Baptist Church there in Somerville, um, and had wonderful folks who loved me, cared for me. Um, you know, there are uh, still ladies that that I consider to be um, folks that the Lord used in my life in very instrumental ways. My Bible drill teachers, mm. those who taught me the scriptures. Um, you know, there are two men in my life that um, I can remember. You know, teaching me the word, helping me understand the significance of God's word. I can still see uh, James Howell. He worked for Hershey uh, Chocolate Company, and he would every Sunday night hold up his Bible and tell us, uh, "Young people, if your Bible's torn at the edges, it means your life is probably not." You know, and he had that sort of <laughs> phrase, and he would remind us of that, and that that stuck with me. And so yeah. I, I was influenced by uh, people who loved God, loved his loved his word, um, and so I, I I grew up always. Believing Believing in in the Lord, and um, r as I began to recognize my sin and my need for a, a savior, and recognizing the realities of, of heaven and hell, um, you know, the Lord used some different uh, means to help me see that. Uh, in fact, uh, sort of an odd experience was the uh, death of a household pet. Uh, it was the first experience with death that I had, and I, I remember uh, lying in bed thinking about life and, and death as a child, and, and the Lord really, you know, used that. Uh, experience strangely enough to uh, awaken me to to my need for salvation and um, so began a process of asking questions and, mm -hmm. and meeting and uh, the Lord graciously uh, converted me and and uh, then in high school I began to have opportunities to um, teach God's word in different settings whether it was school you know clubs or uh, at at church for this occasion or that occasion and other people began to see um, gifts and affirm that, and, and the Lord um, made it very plain um, through those years that that preaching and teaching was uh, what He had gifted me to do, what He had called me to do. I had a middle school middle school teacher who um, told me, "You you read publicly well. You ought to do something in which you speak." Uh, publicly, and, and yeah. that that sort of just stuck in the back of my mind. I never thought about preaching at, at yeah. that point, but um, the Lord has you know used sort of moments like that yeah. to affirm that 
That's this is great. It. So then you went to Union University, right. and you came to Beeson Divinity right. School, and now you're pursuing a Ph.D. at Southern Seminary. Right. So yeah. you've had an interesting academic pilgrimage <laughs> along the way. Yes, sir. Say a word, just a word about those places. Yeah. All three have been uh, wonderful experiences. Uh, Union University was uh a great place uh, for me. It, it really was a place where I matured and began to recognize um, that that the calling that that the Lord had had placed on me uh, was affirmed as opportunities came about. Really learned um, for the first time. Began to see what. Uh, what preaching and teaching was was all about, and so it modeled well, um, and it was a great preparation for coming here to mm. Beeson Divinity School. And, and Beeson um, probably has shaped me more than any other institution. Uh, in fact, w- one of the pastors on on our staff uh, mentioned to me just last week. He said, "I can tell that you have been shaped more by Beeson than by Union or Southern," uh, and I took that as a compliment. Yeah. Um, it, what? No, no uh, offense to, to either Union or, or, or Southern. They've been great places. I think of. Um, you know, different folks along the way. I, I had the privilege of uh, serving as Dr. Bray's assistant, uh, so spent spent time with him. So, and he was my faculty mentor. Mm. Um, so, you know, Dr. It, Gerald Bray. Yes, Dr. Bray was certainly uh, instrumental. Dr. Smith um, in in preaching, and and even uh, with both of them, Dr. Bray and Dr. Smith, spending time uh, outside of class, being willing to listen. And, you know, that's one of the things a lot of people, a lot of our students, comment about their experience at Beeson is that they get to know faculty members. Members personally, they can engage their that's thoughts right. and ideas not that's only right. in class but outside of class right. over coffee in their homes for meals, right. and that's a part of kind of building the sort of Christian community that's very much a part of what we're trying to do. And it's noticeable. I know when when I have the opportunity to bring prospective students down, they recognize that they sense it almost immediately. If they visited other seminaries, they can see that. This is a different kind of place because of the size of the school and because of the interaction between students and faculty. And it is unique, uh, but it's, I think, as I've heard you say, it, it's the way that theological education ought to be done. It, it is an incarnational sort of thing. So Dr. Bray, Dr. Smith, Dr. Thillman, Dr. Ross, you, I mean, on and on and on I, I could go. You are a pastor, uh, and you're the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jackson, Tennessee. So you've returned back to the uh, your, the town, your college town, right. where you went to the University of Union University, and uh, you're a pastor of a wonderful church. Tell us a little bit about your church. It's a great historic church, it isn't is. it? It is. Uh, this year actually marks the 175th anniversary of First Baptist Church, so we are uh, very much in the throes of thinking about our history and celebrating that legacy. Uh, we, we have um, you know, a church that has had in the past the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Dr. Wayne Dahoney, a two-time president. He left there and then went to, to Louisville. Uh, so it really is a, a rich um, church when it comes to legacy and history. Uh, it was very significant in its early days because of where it was in Jackson, uh, West Tennessee. Pretty much when you cross the river, uh, there was not much between the Tennessee River and the Mississippi River. And we were really a strategic sort of place. And then with the bringing of Union University from Murfreesboro to Jackson, it, it became a, a wonderful partnership. And uh, so for me to be back at that place at such a historic church is, is very significant. I, I uh, appreciate and enjoy recognizing that I stand on the shoulders of giants who've yeah. gone before. Now, how has being a pastor, Justin, been different than what you might have expected it would be? Any surprises, any curves in the road you can tell us about? I love that Beeson trains pastors to preach, and that's, uh, I think, the primary role and the primary calling of pastors, and I felt very thankful and uh, equipped to go and do that. 
Um, what I learned was that, in some sense, preaching was the easy part of, of pastoral ministry. The aspects of you know the, the day-to-day leading and shepherding and, and guiding the flock, it wasn't so much a surprise in that I knew that it was going to be coming. It was uh, a surprise in the sense that uh, this takes such love and care and concern and such uh, compassion, and you, you begin to see really all those places in the Scriptures where you know the Lord is pictured as a shepherd and this whole idea of pastor and under shepherd becomes so significant you know the the counseling opportunities the the times to be with people as they they grieve and yet what you what you recognize is all of those opportunities flow out of the word mm-hmm. and so because i was i feel like trained so well in the word and proclaiming and teaching and preaching the word um i feel very equipped to to do that as you know as best i can so there's a kind of symbiosis between the proclamation, the preaching of the Word of God, and the work of pastoral care and ministry, Absolutely. counseling. These are not really two separate right. fields. Yeah. They yeah. flow together right. through the ministry of the shepherd into the life of the congregation. And God has put you in that strategic place to be a, a conduit of his grace and of his love and his mercy. And that's a wonderful calling that God gives to all of us who are shepherds of his people. It is. It, it, to to know that you know the Lord works through his people and, and through his his instruments of of his grace like you said to be a, uh, to recognize that uh, in some sense all of us are conduits of grace but but his under shepherds uh, in in a unique way it, it's a privilege but but it's humbling how do you deal with conflict when it comes up and in, if you're in any church I've ever known you you're bound to have some sure um, you know the we're sinful fallen people so it it, it arises and it arises often um, one of the things that that I'm trying to learn and also model um, is the fact that part of Christian humility is uh, learning to not be easily offended. And uh, I've tried to to make that statement to our people and Mm. and help them realize that um, things are going to be said that, you know, are maybe even hurtful and you don't agree with or you don't like, uh, but humility is learning to not be easily offended by that. That's a great statement, Justin. I just got a letter two days ago that was so offensive to me. <laughs> and now I'm feeling convicted to hear you say, I should not feel so offended. I should just take that. And I haven't responded yet. <laughs> so I'm taking, measuring what you're saying to me, uh, personally to me. That is a measure of, of sanctification in our life, isn't it? It that, is. That when people say, you know, there's something, Jesus, when he was reviled, revile not right. in kind. So it's very biblical what you're you're talking about. And has to do not just with being a pastor, but right, with being exactly. a Christian, isn't it? We could talk a long time about your church and your pastoral ministry, but I've got a couple of other things I want to bring up with you on this podcast. And you're an unusual pastor in that you have the gift of writing hymns. Now, you're not unique in that regard, but I say you're you're rare. How did you get this uh, amazing gift to write hymns that can be sung? In fact, uh, we're going to sing one of your hymns uh, here at uh, Beeson Divinity School, and we'll have it on the podcast a little bit later. But before we get to that specific hymns, talk about the genre of writing hymns and how you got into it. Well, it actually started when I was a student here at Beeson. Um, I began to recognize as, as I looked at hymnals, as we would sing these wonderful hymns of the faith, you know, for for the longest time, you you don't pay attention to those little things at the very bottom of the page on the hymnal where it says words and music. And I began to recognize that these the words to these hymns were written by people that I recognized from church history class were pastors and theologians. And so I 
I, in my own mind, and in my, I think the Lord was using this to sort of turn a dimension in my own heart to recognize that that it was pastors that were writing hymns, not musicians. Mm. Not to say that musicians can't or shouldn't, but but that just that awareness um, did something for me, and it caused me to begin thinking about that. And I realized that these men were were writing hymns um, as a part of their teaching ministry. It was a way for them to teach the faith in, in a way that was memorable, and you know, most of us know that uh, we, we learn more theology from hymns than we do preaching, unfortunately, so often. And so um, I began to you know, think about it, and then at the same time that that uh, was happening, I was um, given some assignments in, in classes to do you know, sort of a creative project for, for this class or that class, and so I tried poetry and tried my hand at writing and loved it. Had you it. studied literature or poetry in school? No, I wish I, I wish I had. It would have been much more helpful. I've had to catch up and learn. Up. And, yeah. um, you know, I did a lot of work on my own just to, to learn and um, try to figure out what exactly meter was and how yeah. to, you know, make sure everything is um, clear and, and poetic and, you know, singable. And, and I began to realize that this is uh, a wonderful uh, tool of reflection and, and praise and doxology, and it became a, a means of um, for me reflecting on on who God was and what He had done, and, and try to craft that in something that could then be sung by by His people. And um, I I recognize very quickly that it's uh, it's not as easy uh, as you know it, it may look or, or sound, but it was such a wonderful exercise for me. So uh, it started here, and then as uh, when I left here and began pastoring, I. I began to, you know, as I would, and, and this I really learned from Newton. Um, John Newton. <laughs> yes. Uh, he would, you know, study a text to preach that week and write a hymn on it. Yeah. And so I tried to begin that practice uh, as I was meditating on a text, thinking about not just preaching the text and proclaiming it in, in that sermonic form, but also how to, you know, figure out a way for the, the people to recognize the truths of this text in, in a singable kind of fashion. And uh, it became a very helpful practice for me, and I hope for our congregation as we try and to so sing some of this. so you do sing these hymns we in do, the worship I, of your church. I don't, I'm not a musician. I, I don't, I'm not trained as a musician. Um, I can barely play a radio. So I, what I would do is I would always write uh, a hymn in a, in a meter that was um, set to some familiar tune, and so mm-hmm. we would we would you know the tune would be familiar. We just sing the different words. That, There's that something about your hymn text. You mentioned John Newton. It kind of reminds me of Newton and and Charles Wesley and Isaac Watts. It has a classical quality to it, and yet there's a freshness about it. Um, I want to ask you specifically to talk about the hymn we're going to listen to in just a moment. Praise to God, the three-in-one. Now, this is a hymn you wrote specifically for Beeson Divinity School for the chapel service. You're preaching on the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And so this is a Trinitarian hymn. Most of us, the only Trinitarian hymn we know is Holy, 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 if we know that (laughs) anymore. So talk to us about this hymn, how you came to write it, and maybe just read the words of it before Mm. we hear it sung. That'd be great. I'll uh, I'll speak to it, and then I'll I'll read the, the words. I wanted to try to to write something that reminded us of a couple of different things. One, that God is in this eternal relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune God, um, and he has always existed in this relationship. And before he became the, as I'm going to say today, the adopting Father and the incarnate Son and the indwelling Spirit, he was 
the eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I wanted to try to capture that in some way and, and help people recognize that um, that he has always existed in, in uh, you know, this triune uh, relationship, one in essence, three in person. And then I also wanted to show that this God in his grace uh, in, in time and space actually uh, then did something for us and for our salvation. And so I want to show that uh, this work of salvation was not just, although the central work is the work of the Son, he accomplishes our redemption, but that work is a Trinitarian work, mm. conceived by the Father, applied by the Spirit, and then accomplished by the Son. And so I, I wanted to show this Trinitarian aspect of, of our salvation. And then end doxologically. Um, mm. I, I think uh, all great hymns end eschatologically and doxologically. And so I wanted to, to move in that, that direction. And, you know, if you, if you think about, you know, our, some of our best hymns, they, they always end. Those last stanzas or the last two stanzas or last stanza moves us towards uh, the, the praise of God in eternity. Yeah. And so I wanted that to, to be the case here. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time and uh, commitment to do this hymn and write this new hymn to be sung for the first time uh, at Beeson Divinity School in this service you're preaching. Read us the words of the text. Before the world was e'er designed or time had yet begun, t'was perfect fellowship divine between the three and one. In lack of nothing, needing naught, yet moved by grace alone, redemption's plan the Godhead wrought to make his glory known. Yes, long before creation's days or man ate of the tree, God had ordained for triune praise, salvation full and free. So praise to God, the three in one, who for the fall decreed the saving mission of the Son to undo Adam's deed. In time preset, the three in one fulfilled the fixed decree. The Father sent the eternal Son to die on Calvary, then sent his Spirit to our hearts, the Spirit from on high, and all the blessings Christ imparts, the Spirit does apply. So praise to God, the three in one, for setting sinners free. The curse of sin is now undone, sweet triune victory. O Father, Spirit, Son to thee, the Holy Trinity, All glory, laud, and honor be throughout eternity. Wonderful. We should tell our listeners that you're preaching here at Beeson in a series of sermons we are doing focused on the symbols of Christian faith in Hodges Chapel. One of those symbols is the triquetra, this Trinitarian configuration that is used, of course, it's it's a geometric form, and so it has its limitations, but it's used to point us to the reality of the one God who has forever known himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the God who, as Jonathan Edwards says, is within himself a holy society. Now, your hymn that you just read is really a kind of poetic, hymnic expression of this text from Galatians 4. I'll read this text. Maybe you can make a few extra comments on it, and then we're going to listen to the hymn that Justin has written for us. Here's the text from Galatians chapter 4, Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter 4. In verse 4, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I just want to say for our listeners, the irony doesn't escape me that the one who wrote one of the best commentaries on Galatians is asking me to comment on a text from Galatians. It is such a a, a marvelous text because for, for so many reasons. Um, one of the things I love about this text is uh, Paul explains what is for so many seems like such a mysterious doctrine, and and it is. Let's don't you know explain away the Trinity. I mean the, the mystery, but he explains it in a way that we can relate to. Familial terms, uh, adoption, uh, the father working and orchestrating our adoption, uh, the son securing and accomplishing our adoption, the spirit being there to assure us of our adoption. And uh, that, I think, is something that we can hold on to and we can celebrate. And so one of the things that I'm going to try to to point out in in the sermon is uh, that I think we make a mistake when we try to help uh, people understand the Trinity just in uh, terms of um, you know the, the the personhood and the essence apart from who they are in the economy of salvation mm. and recognizing that uh, the Father is our Father because of the fact that we have been redeemed by the Son and made sons with Him mm. that the Father loves us as He loves his own son, because we've been made sons. And if we ever doubt that, the Spirit is there within us, crying, Abba, Abba Father, Father, reminding yeah. us that we really are his son. And we're drawn by that Spirit into this fellowship, That's this right. communion. That's right. We, yes, we've been brought into the yeah. society, as yeah. Edward says, yeah. that, that is within himself. We have now been made members, uh, or family, uh, into the family of the triune God. Uh, what a wonderful and oh. expansive view yes. of salvation. Yes, isn't it? absolutely. It's not just making a decision. It's not just joining a church. It, it's it's being included within the very being of the great eternal God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. close the podcast in just a moment. I want you to say a word about your family because God has blessed you with a beautiful wife, with children. Tell us about them. Yeah, my, my wife has been such a gift um, of the Lord and of grace to me. She is uh, such a loving and supportive uh, encourager to me and where to my, my her, ministry. did you meet her, Met her at Union University. Okay. Um, that's where we met. Uh, had a class together. I saw her and, um, and uh, 
I, I knew then that uh, I wanted to get to know her. And, and uh, she's so, the one. <laughs> yes, I, I knew uh, there was something uh, about her, and, and uh, so we we've been married uh, for uh, almost eight years now, and uh, have two children, uh, two year two and a half year old daughter Ella, who uh, is a joy and a delight. Um, we were just going over uh, catechism questions yesterday, talking about the uh, one God and three persons. Uh, so you're teaching the catechism to your little girl yes it's uh it's been such uh, a joy and, and so much fun we um we, we laugh my, my wife and i laughed not too long ago we were uh dealing with uh, the questions regarding uh, sin and and so we were talking about uh, adam and the fall and we were asking her uh you know what happens when we sin and the answer is uh we're sin our sin separates us from god but uh, that particular day she said we when we asked what happens when we sin she said we get a spanking. <laughs> so, so uh, she she's uh, she's learning, and uh, it's it's so much fun. What a what a privilege parenting uh, yeah. is. What a challenge, but what a privilege. And uh, then we have uh, almost a four month old little boy, Graham, a new and, little uh, boy. So marvelous, and he's doing well. He is. He's doing very well. So. Well, Justin, thank you so much for your ministry, for your faithfulness to the gospel, for being a warm-hearted, biblical, evangelical, grace-filled preacher of God's Word. Thank you for your friendship with all of us here at Beeson. We love you. We appreciate you. We're proud of you. And we pray God will continue to shower your life with his blessings. Grace upon grace. Thank you. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.